how to write a good Christmas Eve message, there's three, there's three have-tos. Um, the, the first one is start with a, a funny story. If you don't have a funny story, wear a funny tie. I mean, that's a whole other thing. But the second one, have audience participation. And the third one is tie it somehow all to Jesus. And last year, I, I was telling you earlier, we lost Jesus. I, I pray that Jesus shows up this time. But, but okay, for, first part, the, the funny story. True story. Um, this is about a love-hate relationship, and if any of you guys have been traveling around, around town, last-minute shopping, you may have a love-hate relationship with Christmas by now, but this is a different love-hate story. This is a Winston Churchill story, one of my, one of my heroes, Winston Churchill, true story. Um, Winston Churchill had this love-hate relationship, mostly a hate relationship, with one of the British Parliament um, leaders. Her name was Nancy Astor, true story. Uh, Nancy Astor and Win- Winston Churchill, just, they just did not get along. And this one day, one particular day, it was not going well, and, and, and Lady Nancy said, said this, um, Winston, if you were my husband, I would put uh, um, poison in your coffee. And Winston, without batting an eye, said, if you were my wife, I would drink it. <laughs> oh my gosh. Uh, thank you for laughing at that. Even if it wasn't that funny, I was going to show you my tie. Um, but okay, n- n- number two, audience participation. Uh, be thinking about this. We're just going to shout it out. Favorite, on, on three, favorite Christmas movie or, or Christmas show. Just shout it out on three. One, two, three. Okay, one more time. <laughs> You know, I'm looking for one particular. Um, anybody raise their hand for Die Hard? Die Hard as a... Okay, I knew there was a couple. There's a couple. Okay, D- different, different favorite, favorite or least favorite Christmas song or Christmas carol. So, so lock in. You can do either way. You can do favorite or worst. Um, favorite or worst Christmas carol on three. One, two, three. <laughs> I heard something about a reindeer. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Okay, so that was the audience participation part. Now we're going to go to the Christmas story, okay? And um, this, is, uh, this is God's story from Luke's Gospel. And I, it's often read at Christmas time or Christmas Eve. Uh, if you've got a Bible nearby or a Bible app, um, this is from Luke chapter 2, starting with the first verse. And I ask you to listen carefully. These are God's words. Um, In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. I'll stop right there. Could you guys just say Quirinius with me? On three. One, two, three. Quirinius. You guys nailed it. It's just fun to say. We don't say that very often. Probably none of your kids in your family are named Quirinius, so I just bring that up to your attention. Um, So everyone, uh, there's going to be this census. Uh, and everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. And while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. She gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths, and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. There was no room in the inn. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. 
And this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly a great company of the heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth. Peace to those on whom his favor rests. This is the word of the Lord, the story of God. Um, Thanks be to God. That's the Christmas story. And we celebrate that tonight, tomorrow, and these next days. But tonight, can I invite you to come along with me and fuss with this story before we celebrate the story? Um, This is some more audience participation. And fuss is one of those seminary words that they teach you in the third year of seminary. Um, And and, and what what it really means, let me ask you guys, what do you think fuss means? And not like a fussy parent or a fussy grandparent, but what does it mean to fuss with something, especially fuss with a story? What do you think? Shout it out. to wrestle with it. I love it. Thank you. Thank you, Sean. Thank you, old planted one. Um, uh, <laughs> oh, my gosh. To fuss with something is to look at it in a variety of ways, to mess with it, to question it, to, to look at it from several, several different angles. Sometimes it's looking at it through the eyes of different characters, like the, the shepherd's or Mary's eyes or Joseph's eyes or maybe the angel's eyes. And point number one, if you're taking notes, and folks who attend church here regularly, you know it's not only easier to get into church if you take notes, you can get there faster. So take notes, if you will. Um, That was a lot funnier in my mind, so if you guys... (laughs) Um, But point number one, to fuss. To fuss means to think about it, to observe, to question, to mess with, to question the answers, to question the status quo. And here we go, the fussing starts right now. And this is just a little insight onto how my brain works. And if you've got little kids, maybe you want to hold, it or, you know, hold your hands over their ears right now because it may not be safe. But this is how my brain works when I look at a gospel story. Like this Christmas story. I, I, this is sincere. I ask God to speak to me in and through the story. Lord, help me to see. Lord, help me to hear. Help me to feel what you want me to feel. Help me to see, hear, and feel what you want me to, to, to see, hear, and feel. But, but maybe more importantly, God, what do you want me to do with this story? How do you want me to respond to it? And I believe a story, a good story, a God story, I believe it changes me somehow. And it changes us somehow. I believe it motivates us or encourages us or reminds us that, that there's more to this world than meets the eye. And the story, at least my experience, invites you and I in to participate in something that is way, way bigger than just you and I. Point number two, if you're taking notes, the ABCs, the ABCs of fussing with the story. The ABCs of fussing with the story, and it's really the ABCDEs of the story. And we'll work through all those letters as it backs into tonight's story, um, the birth of Jesus. And A, A is assign a title. Uh, after reading the story, create a title for, for the story. And I'll go into this in a second. And usually I read the story very slowly, at least three times. And I ask again, God, to help me to see what God wants me to see. With fresh eyes. My wife would say, a second naivete, you know, trying to forget what you know before and after the story, but just, just airdropping into the story. So A is assign a title. B is best verse. What's the verse that really stands out for you? What's the best one you think? What's the one that snags on your heart? Um, so A is assign a title. B is best verse. C is the challenging verse. What's the verse that challenges you? What's the verse that's, um, 
that just snags on you, but also is our homework assignment. So A is assign the title, B is the best verse, C is the challenging verse. Um, D is the difficult, difficult. What's difficult about the story? What don't you understand? What doesn't make sense to you? Um, so A, assign the title, B, best verse, C, challenging verse, D, difficult verse. Then E, lastly, is essentials or summary. What's it all mean? And I'll back into the A, B, C, D, E's of all of this. Number one is assign a title. And usually for this, I just brain dump what comes to me uh, quickly, and I assign it several names. And then after fussing with the story a bit, you know, I'll come back to one that maybe fits the best. Um, but here's my list for this Christmas story. And some of you guys may know this. No way, no way, way. Um, and for this, Christmas way. No way, no way. Christmas way or no way, no way, way on Christmas Day. Or Divine Interruptions is another title I gave this story. Just God seems to interrupt uh, th this whole pre-Advent story and pre-Christmas story and then a Christmas story. God seems to interrupt people's lives. Joseph and Mary seem to be settling down in Nazareth, but all of a sudden they've got to be counted and head to Bethlehem. Interruptions, interruptions, interruptions. Um, and then another one, it's, it's in the little things, the unexpected things. Jesus showing up in a manger, unexpected be way different than what folks expected a Messiah to come in. Then another one was, there will be a sign. That's what the shepherds, uh, that's what the angel said to the shepherds. And lastly, last title I gave this one, nothing to be afraid of. It always seems like in these, uh, at least three of the four Christmas stories, there's an angel saying, don't be afraid, don't be afraid. And you know the fear goes from here to here. Um, so assign a title. Number two is the best verse or the one that grabs your heart. For me, it's, it's verse 10. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people. And I want to just slow down there for a second and just break that down. But the angel said to them, and the them is the shepherds. The angel is talking directly to those shepherds, telling them stuff. Don't you and I wish sometimes an angel would airdrop in or two into our life to help clarify with some stuff? Especially the stuff you're wrestling with or confused about or hurting about. Okay, 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 here's the deal. And the angel tells us the deal. Do not be afraid is the next part. And, and the angel said to them, do not be afraid. During the last four weeks of Advent, we've been looking at some of the stories leading up to this Christmas story. And again, in three of the four stories, an angel shows up and tells, tells the folks, do not be afraid. And you know what happens. They're afraid. And the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news. We could all use some good news, couldn't we? This has been a year we've had our own share of bad news. Since last Christmas, just think about the things in our world that have happened since last Christmas. The Marshall Fire, the war in Ukraine, what happened at that school in Uvalde, Texas. Inflation. RSV and flu and COVID still hanging around, more divisive elections, the hate crime down in Colorado Springs just a few weeks ago. Some unprecedented things, we might say. The cold snap we just had just a few days ago. Lord, we could use some good news. And I'm sure they needed it back on that first Christmas, but we need it now too. Come, Lord Jesus, come. God breaking into our world that, God breaking into our world that first Christmas the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy. 
Joy is one of those tricky words with a trickier meaning. When you look up joy in the dictionary, it has words like happiness or delight. And I think we all know it's much, much more than that. And happiness can be a feeling that's fleeting. It's there and it's gone. And joy, I think, is much richer, much deeper than that, much deeper. Fifteen folks, um, back in September, a group of friends showed, 15 folks that I had worked with 40 years ago showed up one Sunday here at church to surprise me. 40 years, I hadn't seen many of them in 40 years. And I was filled with joy to see them, to reconnect with them. And I have two pictures hanging in my office of me hugging one of my friends, one of my old friends. If you want to see joy on two people's faces, come check out these, these pictures in my office. Um, and the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy for all people. We talked last Sunday about how God is shockingly and scandalously inclusive through Jesus, welcoming the prodigals and the prostitutes, the doubters and the debt collectors, the fishermen and the fools, folks that look a lot like you and me. And that heavenly light show a night some 2,000 years ago wasn't just for the shepherds or Mary and Joseph. It was for all of us, underline all of us. So that was the best verse. Challenging verse is the next part. What's the verse that challenges me, challenges us, challenges me to think differently or to change? What's our homework assignment? For me, it's verse 11. Today, today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. And I wrestle with the word Savior. I wrestle with that word. What's that really mean? I fuss with that word. What does it mean to be a Savior? What does it mean to be saved? One time, not too long ago, maybe 10 years ago now, my younger brother Bill and I were swimming um, in the ocean near my mom and dad, the Atlantic Ocean near Vero Beach, Florida. Uh, we were body surfing, riding waves, and riding waves is one of my favorite things in the whole world to do. Um, but this day, it was super rough. And we got caught in a rip current, and my brother saved my life. Um, my brother is a good six, eight inches taller than me, um, and I was getting sucked out into the ocean. Uh, fighting for all I, w- I was worth, wore out, and my brother doing the same thing, but he could stand and fight against the current. I couldn't. I was trying to swim against it, and it wiped me out in a matter of minutes. My brother came and got me. He reached out his hand and grabbed my hand and pulled me to shallower water where I could stand um, and then muscle my way out. Um, truly, he saved my life. As soon as we got to shore, we were both shaking, but as soon as we caught our breath, we both swore we would never tell mom, uh, <laughs> because mom always worried, worried about us riding the waves, especially when it was rough. She was worried about sharks. She was worried about all kinds of things. Um, some years later, I finally did tell her, and my brother was so ticked at me for, for I know what it means to be saved, but Jesus coming as our Savior. From John's gospel, John 10, 10, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But I, Jesus saying this, I have come to give you life and to give it to you abundantly. And I borrow this thought from Max Lucado. If our greatest need had been information, God would have sent an educator. If our greatest need had been technology, God would have sent us a scientist. If our greatest need had been money, God would have sent us an, an economist. But since our greatest need was forgiveness... God sent us a Savior. Behold, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Um, A, B, C, D, difficult. Difficult. What's difficult about this story? 
What don't I understand or what doesn't make sense? And here's one of those things I wrestle with, I fuss with. Why, why the shepherds? Why didn't the angel appear to other folks, more important folks, folks who could get the word out faster, folks who were influencers? Why not the religious leaders of the day, the Pharisees, the scribes, or the teachers of, of the law, the pastor types of the day? Why, why not them? Why the shepherds? Shepherds were rough for sure around the edges. They, they slept outside with the sheep. They were dirty, probably didn't use deodorant, but once a week, bad breath, bad teeth. I'm guessing to many, the shepherds were outsider people. They lived outside of town in the fields, second-rate, third-rate citizens, maybe like our fast food workers of the day. We look past them. And until now, Till this Christmas Eve story, this Christmas Eve night, the only one who knew about baby Jesus so far being knit together in Mary's womb, the only ones who knew were Mary and Joseph. With them, they had this scandalous story. Folks were saying, yeah, 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 right. You're going to have a baby, a virgin birth baby. Tell me another one. Then the only other ones who really knew were Elizabeth and Zechariah. They were Mary's relatives. Remember, Mary stayed with them for three months after she found out she was pregnant with God's son. They were the only ones that believed the miracle because they had experienced a miracle too. No one else knew, or maybe, no, maybe more realistically, no one else believed, even if they knew the story. They didn't believe the story. Most didn't or couldn't believe it. So, so why the shepherds? Why did the angels appear to the shepherds that first Christmas night? For me, it's, it's easy to get snagged on that part of the story. It doesn't make sense. Maybe, maybe it was a foreshadowing of Jesus referring to himself as the good shepherd. From John's gospel, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. The, 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 I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Or a reminder for, for all of us from Psalm 23 about God's role, about our role. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. The last part of my ABCDE e is essentials or summary of the story. That's point number three if you're taking notes. God's habit of breaking into our world in unexpected ways and in unexpected places. God's habit of breaking into our world in unexpected ways and in unexpected places. That's always been God's way. Showing up in unexpected ways, in unexpected places, in a burning bush, in a box, in a tent, in the holy of holies in the temple. Now God's showing up in a manger. Who would have thunk it? For sure not the first century world. They were looking for a, a mighty warrior type in Israel. A king, a king type, not a little baby who grew up in the town of Nazareth. Nazareth, a know-nothing town with a reputation of yielding know-nothing people. Yes, God has had a way of showing up in unexpected ways, in unexpected places. I believe God is still doing that. Emmanuel, God with us, God wanting to be with us, God in us, God showing up in and through us, his church, and not just little CR church, but big C church. God nudging us to love each other, God in us, speaking to us, asking us now to be the hands and feet of Jesus. In this pastor gig of mine, I often get front row seats to see how God shows up in unexpected places. And what's really cool, sometimes God even shows up on a Sunday morning right here in church. Who would have thunk it? Um, last Sunday, I watched someone who had been hurting and struggling. 
I saw them being cared for by some folks. I saw them being helped out. I saw them being lifted up with a gift, a financial gift. And that person who was hurting so and struggling so came to me shortly afterwards and said, I was blessed today. Who can I help? Who can I help? And I was reminded this week by someone that's, that's the Christmas story. That's the good news. That's why the lowly shepherds headed into town to see this little baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And I borrow this quote from Scott Erickson. Nothing can be truly known through observations, only through participation. It seems to me God's asking us, we got to jump in. And point number four, the last point, God shows up in unexpected ways and in unexpected places when we show up. And if you're taking notes, just underline when we show up. When we enter into the story. Whenever we step out in faith, trusting God will be there with us. My experience has been, maybe yours too, God shows up. Again, often in unexpected ways. John's Gospel, chapter 1. In him, in Jesus was life. And that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness. And the darkness has not overcome it. Where there is darkness, God asks us, go shine the light. That's why the angel, that's why the angel came at night. It's when lights are best seen. It's when they are most needed. In my heart of hearts, folks don't want more information or, or theology. They want good examples. They want good stories. And there's always a part of me that wants to, as a pastor, that wants to look good like I have it all together or I'm doing a good job. Some of you guys know I'm a golden retriever at heart. Or I want folks to think I'm a good person. And maybe relative to a serial killer, I'm okay. But, 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 but most days, if I'm honest, I'm not so hot. I have insecurities. I get jealous. I want more than what I have. I get grumpy and cynical at times. And this is before coffee. Um, sometimes I want to go into my cave and not talk to people ever. Maybe, maybe a dog once in a while, but no more people. Um, I get down sometimes and stress eat. That always helps. No, it doesn't. Um, sometimes we're the same way at church. Um, we want it to look good and be good, and that's fine and good, but sometimes it's not real. It's hard and it's messy sometimes, just like the birth of Jesus, that first Christmas in a stable. Some of you folks know this story. Um, a friend of mine and a member of our church Four years ago right now, uh, right before Christmas, she drove her car accidentally through that window uh, between the Christmas tree and the platform. Um, she accidentally stepped on the gas instead of the brake. And some of you guys maybe were here um, that day. God reminded us, God reminded me through her what's most important, to take care of each, each other, to sit with each other, make sure we're okay, really okay. Because a lot of times we'll just pass by each other and say, you doing Okay. Wanting them to say okay, because if they said it was a horrible day, you know, we'd have to stop and ask why. But I think God really wants us to ask, how are you doing? And to check on each other, to love on each other. After that crazy day when my friend drove into church, my friend shared with me that she'd been telling her friends what happened that day. And it was not just about her foot slipping off the, off the brake and, and hitting the gas. What my friend was telling her friends that she'd never been so loved She'd never been so loved and cared for in her entire life that day. When she found herself parallel parked inside the church next to a Christmas tree and some poinsettias. Uh, 
That was a crazy day. Um, I believe that's why this little baby, baby showed up in a manger that first Christmas, to show us how to love, to show us the way, to be the way for us, to be with us. That was the good news that special night. Not that, that we needed more information, we just needed someone to show us what love looked like. There's something called the ministry of presence. Maybe you guys have heard of it. What it really means is just showing up, like the shepherds did at the manger scene. They weren't the wise men with the gifts. They just showed up, dirty and sweaty and messy, but real with their hearts. And many times, that's all God wants us to do, show up with our hearts. He'll take care of the rest. When we're short on words, he'll give us the words if we need them. God seems to show up in my life, not so much when I'm strong or looking good, but when I'm honest and vulnerable. God does the same thing here at church. I shared a story um, a few weeks back about a, a hospice nurse who had been a hospice nurse for some 38 years. And, and she was asked, um, you know, what, what's that like? And she said, you know, one thing, one thing is consistent. One thing is consistent. All the folks who are going from this side to heaven, they want to know one of three things. They have three questions on their heart. And I share these with you because I think they're pertinent to all of us. There are questions on their heart. And it's so, it's so steady and so, you, you know, it's so, you can almost count on it that these are the questions as folks are leaving this world going to the next. These are the questions that folks ask. What was I loved? Did I love back? And did I make a difference? What was I loved? Did I love back? And did I make a difference? In, in the book about how to write a good Christmas Eve sermon, it says end with a challenge and end with a blessing. This is my challenge for you guys. Wrestle with those questions over these next days. Was I loved? Did I love back? Did I make a difference?